We're turning now to God's Word. Uh, The reading is from Genesis chapter 37, which starts on the very bottom of page 34 of the Church Bibles. And we're reading from verse 2 down to the end of the chapter. So, Genesis chapter 37. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw his father loved, their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I've dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers saying, look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. And so he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they're pasturing the flock. The man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer, come now, let us kill him and throw him in one of these pits, and then we shall say a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to to his brothers, 
What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy's gone, and I, I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the, blood, the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This we have found. See now whether it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and his, all his daughters sought to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, Nope, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his son bewailed him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. We have been following a series, as you know, in uh, looking at some of the heroes of faith. And we have arrived at Joseph here in the book of Genesis. And, um, of course, a fascinating character. And I hope if you haven't had the opportunity to see Joseph in his technicolored dream coat, that uh, you do get the chance. It's, it's great fun. And um, it, it sticks roughly to the story. Uh, it's actually on in London, as you'll see when I... Um, uh, get this up on the screen um, this summer, I believe. Uh, but um, it's been popularized, and I don't need to tell you too much of the detail because of this uh, um, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, play and so on, uh, musical, it's, it's become quite well known. And we think we know the stories, but what is it really all about, and where does it take us? Tell me, how many of you like a roller coaster? Who loves the excitement of being in Paltons or somewhere in Florida? Put your hands up if you like roller coasters. There's one. He's been in submarines, but he would. And um, I think I've got four or five hands here. See, what do you like about it? Well, it must be presumably the thrill, the excitement. Well, I assume the rest of you don't like them. Why not? Come on, call out a few reasons why you don't like them. Just shout a word out here and there. Frightened? You're going to fall off. He's scared, right? Yes, Frightened. It does make you dizzy, doesn't it? And a bit, bit queasy. Yeah, anything else? That's one of the key things. Why is it we don't like roller coasters? Well, we're strapped in, we're going on a journey, and it's got ups which are uncomfortable, and then downs which are even less comfortable. And everybody's quiet when they go up, do you notice? But as they come down, they, they let their heads off and wave their hands around. But the key thing is, you don't know what's coming up next. This, uh, back in February, my brother and uh, brother-in-law, Daria's brother and family came across from Galway to visit us. Actually, they're, they're Bosnian, but they, they live in Galway at the moment. And they'd never been on a fun fair. We took them to Paltons. And um, we came across one of the scary rides, and they'd never seen it. So I said, what, why don't you go up on that? Well, we held on to the youngest one, but the nine-year-old and the two parents went on. Well, when they came off, the nine-year-old was in floods of tears, the wife was white as a sheet, and the boy was laughing. 
And the whole thing is that this ride starts and you've just got no control. There's uncertainty ahead and it does get uncomfortable and it's up and it's down. And this story of Joseph is no different. So I'm going to walk you through the story and hopefully that you'll see some of the aspects of it that might just point to the fact that there's somebody who's in charge of this ride. Not just Joseph's, but yours and mine as well. So let's look at the story of Joseph. Well, it starts way back, and these are the key chapters, which if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to pick them up and look at some of them uh, uh, as you you go through, just to sort of reinforce some of the the points that um, the the Bible makes about the character and the incidents around Joseph's life. But the, the first one is the fact that in Genesis chapter 30, his mother, Rachel, was one of two wives. Now, it's a most stupid story. You wouldn't believe it. This guy married this girl, and he went uh, on his honeymoon, and he got into the the bedchamber at night, and um, he went to bed with her. And the next morning, he woke up, and it was the wrong girl. Now, what did they put in his drink to have created a situation that he couldn't recognize this girl that he had loved and wooed for years? Anyhow, uh, it uh, it was her sister, But that was the custom. You had to marry the older one first, and so eventually married. But Rachel, Leah was the older. Rachel was the younger. And the problem was that Rachel was barren, whereas Leah was very fruitful. And so they had lots of family. And um, even a bit like Sarah, Rachel got round to offering her handmaid to to, to, um, uh, Jacob to try and get children that way and own a couple for, for herself. But actually, Jacob had 10 boys... Now, when you've got 10, that's a complete number in the Bible. 10 commandments, that's it finished. No more. And then he did the most horrible thing. He went and had a girl next. The humiliation of it. And Rachel still had no children. And then God had mercy and remembered her. And the boy was called Joseph. He was at that time the youngest child. There was another came along, his little brother called Ben. And so... uh, He was the penultimate child. You'll see the peas come in here a bit. But anyhow, he was the bottom of the pile. All the brothers were big, big burly guys. And he was the youngest. And not expected to be around. But yet, yet, the story changes. Because uh, it says here that Jacob, his father, loved Joseph more than all the brothers. Things were starting to look up. Uh, You'll get used to that sound. And so he had his father's favor around him. He was spoiled. Well, you know fathers what it's like. The youngest comes along, you've, you've had your pile, and then they're all the way off somewhere else, and the youngest comes. And it's at a time in life when you've got more disposable income. So they get all the pocket money, which those other ones never got. Oh, the anger and the, the jealousy there must have been. But then it wasn't just uh, Jacob's favor. God favored him. He gave him dreams, two dreams, which we've just heard about. The one of the sheaves and then one of the stars. Well, you can imagine how angry that made the brothers. 
Joseph had one unfortunate trend, though. And it's unfortunate, and it happens, dare I say it, in churches and other places that I've gone to. Because Joseph was awarded this ornate coat. Uh, it, it describes it in Hebrew. The term is often used as a long-sleeved robe, as uh, the passage that we heard was about. And it, it um, do you know whether it was many-colored, but it was certainly ornate and expensive and lavish. And that caused the jealousy of the brothers. But Joseph couldn't control his tongue. He gossiped and told stories and tales to his father about the brothers. And that made things even worse. And so the brothers started to turn on him. The preferred son started to have trouble. The brother's envy got the better of him. And of course, as we know, that that took him down for jealousy. And for being the preferred son, he ended up in a pit. And in that pit... The brothers decided they were going to kill him. And if it wasn't for the... Reuben tried to save him. Reuben was the eldest. But it wasn't for the intervention of Judah who said, well, let's let's, let's sell him off as a slave, which is what they did. And uh, they then had to fake his death. And they brought the news back to their father. Joseph is dead. And for the effect of his life, That was it. As far as Jacob and sons was concerned, Joseph was dead. Never to be seen again. And that's a challenging thought that a loose tongue gossip and boasting can get yourself in such trouble when you offend your brothers and sister. But in these passages, when you get down to it, You find as you read the Bible and you get to the end of each of these chapters, this is chapter 37, you'll see it in chapter 39, there's a hook in there. There's a verse that comes in there that is like a hook that's going to pull them out of the mess. And it's the last verse. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. So from being in a place in the Holy Land, as we would call it, and somewhere around uh, Hebron, where he lived, he suddenly found himself in Egypt. And somewhere, there was a strategic plan to get this guy into Egypt. Something was happening. And so, he got into Egypt, and things started to look up. faithfulness and favor happened. He got into the house of Potiphar. Who was Potiphar? Well, he was a captain of the guard, but captain of Pharaoh's guard. He was in charge of the prison. And when we get to chapter 39, we discover a little bit more about it, that Joseph prospered in that house. He was uh, faithful in everything, and he eventually got to the position where Potiphar trusted him so much, he put him in charge of the whole household. He was the managing director of Potiphar Incorporated Enterprises Limited. And he had complete uh, trust in Joseph. And Joseph then could manage everything and organize his own life. No longer was he an Israelite Hebrew slave. He was a well-kept Egyptian that learned their culture and was at top of his game in Egypt. And 
It's important to know just how God was using him in this place as well. Because it says in chapter 39 that the Lord also uh, favored him as well. That God was with him. And uh, so when Joseph was in charge, the master didn't have to worry about anything because God was in charge as well of his life and of his, his direction. And uh, so the, the story moves on and we discover that Joseph uh, is showing faithfulness in his discipline and in his organization and he's showing it in every aspect of his house. And you know, it is important if you're a Christian and you're put in charge or responsibility of even something very small, and it doesn't have to be in the church. It could be in any profession that you show diligence and faithfulness and reliability in that place. Because the work that you have to do, regardless of it being spiritual or material, is God's work regardless And therefore, it all demands the same attention. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, it says in the book of Corinthians, do with all your might. And it is that that God blesses, obedience and faithfulness in his children. So Joseph exercised that. But the problem with Potiphar was a little bit more problematic because he, of course, was captain of the guard. Well, He no longer had to get back and forward to the house and look after the farm and the laboring and all the slaves and all the things that Joseph's looking after that. He had a lot more time in his hands. Uh, But where did he spend it? Well, it looks like he went down to the pub, or at least it looks like he spent quite a bit of time with his friends and, and, and his work on the prison, but didn't spend it at home with Mrs. Potiphar, who started to get a little bit jealous herself. And then she started to take a fancy to Joseph. And suddenly we find that Joseph, in his honorable state, is starting to be undermined. And very gradually we see that uh, day by day, pressure is put upon him. And so from being Potiphar's steward, oops, I've missed the the chance. Uh, Worldly opposition came alongside to try and drag him down. Joseph was honorable. He did the two things you do with temptation, fight or flight. He did both. When she came to him, he fought. He said, no, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? It says in chapter 39, verse 9. He knew he had to fight back. But it says that she spoke to Joseph day after day. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. The second thing as well as fight from from temptation is to flight, is to leave it and get away from it. And so she tried to catch him one day, caught his cloak, and uh, he ran off into the distance. That coat again. He gets into so much trouble with his cloaks and his coats, doesn't he? And he left it in her hand, and she then used that as evidence when he came home to Mr. Potiphar, or Captain Potiphar, and said, look, this guy's been trying to make sport of me. And so, all of a sudden, he ended from being the top guy in the house, from Potiphar's house, to being in prison, locked in jail. And that then moves us on to the next chapter, that despite the lies and the scandal that have been thrown at him, he ends up in jail. But 
like the previous chapter, verse chapter 39, has also got a hook in it near the end. It gives a clue to what's going to happen next. While Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. The hook. Things are going the other direction. He is now running the prison, not the prison running him. And again, he's showing faithfulness and he's been showing, shown favor because he's being righteous in all his actions and diligent. He's on the road back. And it's very interesting how this road takes shape because when you get to chapter 40, it describes the fact that uh, Pharaoh was angry with two officials. One was his cupbearer who checked his wine out and of course was very close and had the ear of Pharaoh. And the other one was his chief baker who worked down in the kitchens. And he put them in custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Who's that? Potiphar. And Potiphar, the captain of the guard, assigned them to Joseph. He must have realized his wife wasn't telling the truth. He must have realized this guy's a very righteous chap. And so having thrown him into prison, he was quite happy that Joseph take responsibility for the captives. Now these two characters that come in, the uh, baker and the cupbearer, are quite interesting. Because all of a sudden we come back to where we started, dreams. They each have a dream. And just like the first time, there are two dreams. So the first guy, the baker, has a dream. He's got three baskets on his head. On the top one, he puts all his food on the top. Well, why would you do that? You're showing off. You don't put food in the top and walk out in the middle of the street with it. The birds will get it. People will take it. You put it inside the baskets. He was trying to pretend he had three baskets full of food. He was a great master baker and he was trying to show off. He was being deceitful. And Pharaoh had spotted that. That was one dream. The other dream the other chap had, the cupbearer who was the wine taster, was a fruitful vine with three branches and it was being filled with grapes and the wine that poured from it was Chateau Lafitte 1948. It was the finest. And he was handing it back to Pharaoh. And Joseph correctly interpreted the two dreams and said, first chap, the deceitful one, Baker, you're going to be executed. You're going to lose your head. Second one, cupbearer, you are going to be restored to your rightful position. And sure enough, both came to pass. Now this time, God had blessed him, not just in having dreams for himself, but interpreting the dreams that other people had. God has really shown he is with him in every way. And of course, the hook in verse 14 was that Joseph had spotted this and said, look, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of here. He was really struggling with it. But the cupbearer didn't. As soon as he got back to Pharaoh's court, I'm far too busy. I can't afford this. No, 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 here, here, have more, have more drink, uh, oh Pharaoh, and um, back into being confidential. 
But this is only the first half of his recovery. The second half occurs when there are two further dreams, and this time it's with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has two dreams, of, as we know, of um, the fat cattle being swallowed up by thin cattle. And then it's fat and um, generous portions of, of, of heads of barley being uh, swallowed up by um, destroyed ones and poor ones. And suddenly Pharaoh's having dreams. And that's when the cupbearer's memory was rudely jogged. And so Pharaoh then gets involved and brings Joseph in. So Joseph rises, not this time uh, <coughs> from uh, authority in, in prison, but in authority in the whole country. He goes even better. Right off the scale. Because Pharaoh immediately appoints him as his prime minister. Because Joseph clearly says, if that's what the meaning is, and you're showing wisdom, uh, you need somebody bright and intelligent and um, <clears throat> preferably Hebrew, and, and somebody who's, who's, a, um, you know, who, who's got a lot of wisdom about them to take charge of the situation. You need someone who's going to uh, take over and who's actually going to, uh, I suppose, is going to store away things and save them up big banks and investments, and then when the wicked days come, there's going to be plenty that will look after your country. Who, uh, who, who had you in mind, Pharaoh? <clears throat> and of course, Pharaoh said, there's none better than you, and he appointed Joseph, the prime minister, <clears throat> in charge of all the arrangements. And to show his appreciation, Pharaoh gave him an ornate robe. Three times we've had robes. Every dream came twice. Why did it come twice? Well, when Joseph explained this to Pharaoh, <clears throat> he says to Pharaoh, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. What the two dreams meant in each case was that God meant business. Now let me imagine you hear a knock on the door and it's 2 a.m. in the morning. <clears throat> this happened to me a few weeks ago with my son <clears throat> and um, uh, you ignore it. Must be the wind. Ah, maybe it's not the wind. Maybe somebody means business. God give Pharaoh two dreams to ratchet at home. I mean business and I want action out of you. Forget the sermon. Sometimes in life, God prompts us to do something. And our first reaction is, <clears throat> not me, uh, no, um, wrong guy. No, I mean you. And that's what the message was to Pharaoh, to the cupbearer and the baker, and to Joseph himself. And God does mean business with us. He wants to use us and take us for his purposes. So you can see the ups and downs of his life. So having given an ornate robe, Pharaoh did two further things to Joseph. He put a chain of office, a gold chain around his neck, meaning he, Joseph, is the most important person in the land. There is no one higher than this one. 
And he then took his ring off, his signet ring, with which he stamped all the documents and personal authority, and he gave him his full authority to do anything in his name. And Joseph was that man from nothing, from a pit, from death, because his family still considered him dead. He's now exalted to the highest place. And the story moves on because we find then, once the famine is over, so this is seven years of good. Joseph was 30 when he became prime minister. He's 37. Two years later, he's age 39. His brothers appear in front of him. At the moment, he is dispensing the grain and giving people the opportunity to to, uh, keep their lives alive and sustain them. And so the whole situation turns around and it says that uh, Joseph uh, watched them as they bowed down to him with their faces. And in verse 9 of chapter 42, then Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Suddenly, everything was coming together. All those, age 17, now 39, 22 years ago, and it all was coming to place. Somebody's behind this life of mine. Somebody's doing something in it. And so, as the story goes on, in verse uh, 45, in chapter 45, uh, Joseph explains when they bring his father in, and when the uh, family come into Egypt, he brings them together and he explains to them what was going on. Chapter 45, 11, Joseph invites his entire family, Jacob and uh, all the uh, others. And he says, I will provide for you here because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. What was Joseph doing? He was saving the children of Israel. He had brought them into Egypt, and if he hadn't, they would have died. There'd be no Jesus, there'd be no future, there'd be no church, because they're all dead. God had to preserve the children of Israel in a special way, and that is just what he was doing through Joseph. And Joseph explains it to them. The the, the brothers get um, very concerned about it, and um, so they... uh, They they want to um, hear uh, reassurance. And in the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, Joseph sits back and explains it to them. And he says, chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was like Noah, the ark that saved them the Schindler's List that spared this tiny number. There were 70 people in the Israelite family that came into Egypt. 430 years later, they left Egypt. And Joseph had another dream and predicted they would leave Egypt. Do you know how many there were? Two million Israelites. God not just brought them and saved them, He made them multiply and be fruitful in everything. Now, what does this tell us? And what did Joseph discover? He was the preserver of Israel, but that everything that happened was in God's plan. The uh, 
old hymn we used to sing in, uh, in our church, I remember years ago, was um, uh, on, uh, in our youth fellowship in the old days. We, did, we had guitars, but we, we sang much more uh, old-fashioned songs. But um, <clears throat> uh, it's, it goes like this. I do not know the way ahead, what joys and griefs are there, but one stands near to be my guide, I'll trust his loving care. I do not know the future, but God knows the future, and he'll guide me with his hand. With God, things don't just happen, everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles, give to him my all. Now you look at this, you see ups and downs, you see the hooks and the slides, you see what you would call the good and the bad. Can I say something? There is no bad in here. There are no downs in here. You do realize that your entire life has been a preparation for what you will do today. And at the end of today, your entire life is a preparation for what you will do tomorrow. There are no accidents. God has your interests at heart. He has your plans. I know the plans for you, he said to Jeremiah. Plans for good and not for harm. And God has indeed got plans for us. And he spells it out. Joseph knew about the Exodus and predicted it to him. But Paul tells us this. We know that in all things, God works for good. Not bad, by the way. For those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. His purpose for your life. It's not what you want for your life or I want for my life. It's what God wants for each one of us. You say, but I face all sorts of things. Uh, broken relationships, family problems, uh, who knows, cancer, uh, uh, disease, uh, uh, illness or accidents. There are no bad. All of them are for our good. It's very hard for me to say this. It's very hard for me to understand it. And I don't think any of us truly gets this. Every incident that happens, God intends for good. It's to teach us, to show us, to take us forward. Some lessons might be painful, but God has it all in hand. Because God's purpose is here. I'm just showing you this lifespan again. Whose life is this? It's not Joseph's. One who was born in poverty, in a stable, not even in a hospital, the lowest of the low, was brought into planet Earth. But he had the Father's favor and was the preferred. He was the Son of God. But the brothers, the Jews, rejected him through envy. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. And so they threw him away. But to those who did believe, he showed himself through his miracles, through his power, through his teaching, through his life, sinless, the Son of God, the real steward of God's house, the one who would fulfill absolutely to the letter all that was predicted. Jesus was the the finest steward. But then worldly opposition gathered and they pushed him away into a prison. They whipped and beat him and then strung him on a cross. Gone. But he didn't. He rose again 
to become the highest position with a chain of office and a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He's given a robe of righteousness and that robe he's wearing on a white horse one day, covered in blood to bring justice, judgment and punishment on the wicked of this planet. And he has a ring of authority. He is God's son and God's only son. And he preserves his church and brings us to faith in him. The story of Joseph is a story also of Jesus. But it's a story of you and me. Because God has a purpose for each one of us. And however difficult life might seem, however up and down it might become, the unprediction of the roller coaster, be clear, God built that roller coaster. So don't object to it. He's got it planned. He's in charge. He switches the electricity on and off. One day you'll get to the end of that roller coaster and you'll leave this, this planet. God knows when that's going to be. None of us do. But God will take control. God is in charge. Whatever we do and think and whoever we are, we need to get that reassurance. God did all this for Jesus. He's doing it for you. He did it for Joseph. How wonderful is our God? How much confidence we can have that he who started a journey in our hearts will bring it to the end. But my question to you is this. Have you started that journey? Where are you on that journey? Are you being faithful, conscientious, and obedient? And even in the rough times, are you being patient to get to the end? Because God will take us through. Let us worship and enjoy our God, but let's glory in him that he has done everything for us, provided his full salvation in Jesus, brought us to the point of repentance and forgiveness, and is taking us to glory and heaven. And he will see us through regardless of the pain of the journey and the joys of the journey.